0: Welcome to the Baseline Community Church Podcast. We're continuing on in our uh, sermon series that uh, Don launched, uh, Pastor Don launched last week called Field Notes and this is, we're, we're walking through 2 Corinthians chapter 3 through 7 and this is a section of scripture where Paul is really laying out his philosophy of ministry and it's um, sort of what, what's at the heart of what it means to be a Christian and to live our lives for Jesus and the ministry that God has called us to, um, both individually and as a church. And um, this is a philosophy ministry that's not been formed sort of, you know, at a seminary somewhere or, you know, in some academic setting, but it's been formed through Paul being on the field and living this out. And so all the things that, that have kind of shaped how Paul understands the gospel and what it means to live that out has come through his real life experiences. And so that's what we'll be looking at through this, uh, through this sermon series. But I wanted to start this morning, before we get into uh, chapter 4, um, with a story from um, our vacation that our family got to take a few weeks ago. Uh, my extended family, my two bro- my mom organized this, me and my two brothers and all of our families. We went to Kauai together, which was an amazing um, experience. And if you don't know, the island of Kauai is beautiful. Um, there's amazing beaches. There's wonderful hikes you can do. And then they have all of these um, kind of uh, crazy outdoor activities um, that you can uh, pay to do. And we did one of those. And that was we did this inner tubing uh, trip that um, there are these uh, canals. There you go. Okay. So th- this is, uh, these are the irrigation canals that were used to irrigate the sugar plantations back in the day. There are no more sugar plantations um, anymore. Um, we heard all about that on this trip. And, but instead, now they've turned it into this adventure experience where you float down the irrigation canals on these inner tubes, okay? And I thought, oh, this, that sounds mildly interesting, you know, kind of lazy river through some beautiful scenery. What, what they um, didn't totally tell you, uh, although if I, you look carefully at the website, you can sort of pick this up, is that there are certain sections of these canals that go through tunnels through mountains, okay? So long stretches where you're in these concrete tunnels um, just sort of floating down and then, you know, and it kind of gets a little rapidy, and you're sort of bouncing off the, the concrete walls and it's a pretty cool, um, fun experience. That's why we had helmets on and that's why we had the lights, the little lights on our, our helmets, is because when you got into tunnels, you wanted your light on to sort of see where you were going. Now, most of these tunnels were uh, uh, of a distance where you could way off in the distance, you could see the exit, like a little pinprick of light. And you sort of knew, okay, there's an exit here. But there was one tunnel that was extra long and had some twists and turns to it so that when you got in the middle of it, you could not see the exit, okay? Felt like it went on forever. And then it was this moment, okay, in the trip, where the guide decided to stop everyone Okay, so instead of floating down, you know, all of a sudden we kind of got a big jam, traffic jam. Everybody kind of stopped, and we were jammed up just like that. But now we're in this dark, dark tunnel. And then he goes, "Okay, now everybody, I want you to turn off your headlamps." So we turned off our headlamps, and my goodness, I have never experienced darkness that intensely. I mean, it just went so dark, so fast. I mean, you could not see your hand in front of your face. It was like an intense darkness. Now I'm not the most like claustrophobic person, okay? So I'm usually pretty cool in these situations. But even me in that moment, I thought, is it getting like air thinner in here? Like it's just, it's, just, it's like this weight that just starts to press on you. And I think because we weren't moving anymore and we were sort of stuck and it was just so intensely dark. And then the, the main guide, he, he has a little light that's like a little red light, okay? So uh, he just turns this little red light, so it just casts just a little bit of light, and it's like red. And he turns on it, and all we can see were, like, were his, was his face. Okay, and he's kind of a scary looking dude. He's the dude at the, at the <laughs> bottom right-hand corner, right? So his face lights up, and you could just see a little bit of a sense of like where we were in the tunnel. And somehow it made things worse. Okay, it was like, ah, oh, we're stuck in this tunnel, right? And and it, you know, and it felt like the walls were closing in a little bit. And he starts telling this story, and I'm thinking to myself, dude, pick up the story. Let's go. Come on. Let's get this thing moving, right? Well, unbeknownst to me, as you know, again, someone who's not very claustrophobic, my sister-in-law is very claustrophobic. And her experience of this was she was having starting to have a full-blown panic attack, right? It was like, I got to get out of here. And all of a sudden, she just is like, I can't take this anymore. And so she turns on her light. She turns on her light. Now, we were pretty far apart. I was way in the back. She was toward the front. I didn't know it was her. All of the, I just saw someone turn on their light. And I was like, thank goodness someone turned on their light. I was like, yes, right? And the kid, I guess, next to her was like, the man, the man doesn't want our lights on. She goes, No, I want my light on. Okay? Right? And I think the guy realized, Okay, it's time to move, you know, move along. I think he'd seen this kind of thing happen before. And so he's like, All right, let's keep going. Right? And we got, and we got through it. I tell that story because I think it sort of captures so vividly that when people are trapped in darkness when, and when they're tired of the dark and they're like, I don't want to live like this anymore, what they need most is light. Just by turning that light on, it like made it, she could breathe again. Right? Light is very powerful in the midst of darkness. We're going to see this morning that this idea really lies at the very heart of the ministry that we've been given. The very heart of the ministry that we've been given. This, this ministry that Don introduced to us last week, the ministry of the spirit that brings righteousness and freedom and transformation in a way that the law could never bring um, is the ministry we've been given. And right at the heart of it is this idea of shining light in the midst of darkness. How many of you guys have seen the new Top Gun movie? Right? Okay, awesome movie. I'm just going to say oh, awesome movie. And as I was studying this passage, I was like, I think this passage is a little bit like the scene in the new Top Gun movie where Maverick, Tom Tom Cruise's character, is laying out the parameters of the mission, right? He sort of is laying out, like, here's what our mission is. And he describes, like, we've got to go, you know, blow up this underground facility, right? And then he describes, and here are all the the dangers and the challenges that we're facing by doing this. I think that's actually what's happening here in this section that we're going to read through right now, and I'll explain that in a minute. So let's let's look at chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. It'll be up on the screen. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Now Paul uses a lot of words here, I think to describe some um, pretty kind of simple and straightforward things. I think this is his version of kind of uh, the mission brief. So at the heart of what Paul's saying is here's the mission. Our mission is to reveal Jesus in all of his glory in a direct and authentic way. That's the heart of the mission. Reveal Jesus in all of his glory in a direct and authentic way. Now, just because it's straightforward doesn't mean it's easy. And Paul, as you, read, as you pick apart the, the verses here, we begin to see that Paul is aware that there are some pitfalls that we need to avoid in, as we go about this mission. Things that can kind of derail the mission or knock it off course. So there's some pitfalls to be avoided, and there are some barriers that have to be overcome. Paul talks about we have an enemy. Talk about the God of this age, that's, that's a reference to Satan. We have an enemy who doesn't want this mission to succeed and has some stratagems to prevent that, and so we have, to, we have to overcome those barriers. So let's get into this. So let's look at a couple of the pitfalls that Paul highlights here. The first thing he warns against is um, distorting the Word of God, or manipulating people in order to achieve an agenda. Paul recognizes the dangers of that as we go about this mission, that, that Christian leaders and pastors and apostles, if they begin to distort the Word of God or, or use the word in a way that's trying to man- deceives people or manipulates them to achieve an agenda, that that is gonna create massive problems for the mission to be successful. Now, I, if you know me, I'm, I'm, I'm a big kind of a, a US history buff. Um, I, I love reading, U.S. You know, learning more about US history. And um, just a quick plug, I came across a podcast um, some months ago uh, that I have absolutely love. It's called History That Doesn't Suck. Isn't that a great name for a podcast? And they just do this really systematic way of sort of walking through U.S. history that I found incredibly enlightening and helpful and informative. I told Pastor Don about it, now he's hooked, and he's listening to it as well. But when you, when you study U.S. history, when you learn about it, you realize that we have the clarity now looking back, right, hindsight is twenty twenty. that there were many points in history where the church got it wrong, where it, where it distorted the word of God to achieve an agenda, whether it was to promote slavery, right, or uh, westward expansion and manifest destiny. There's many other um, examples um, where this has happened in history, and it's easy to sort of see it when you look back at history. You can see it's like, oh yeah, boy, that was being taught in churches, and that was wrong, and that really hindered the mission um, of the gospel, But I think it also happens today. And today, when when you're in the midst of it, it's a little harder to recognize when it's happening, right? Because inevitably, throughout the millennium, the church has struggled with, we're trying to do right by teaching the word of God, but then our culture around us kind of starts to bleed in and and shape the church a little bit. And it's sort of hard to kind of discern between those two things. So we have to be careful about that. And so as, as the church, at the heart of our mission is revealing the glory of Jesus, we need to reveal the full fullness of Jesus' glory. And I think that includes his heart. It's how Jesus treats people, how Jesus includes those who are on the outside, how Jesus um, extends grace and compassion to hurting people. As we are going through this church merger process... We were researching other church. we were sh- researching a number of churches that we were considering that we might want to merge with. This was early days. And there was one church that was a, was a, a potential candidate for the merger. And um, I, I remember going online and watching one of their services. Now, I don't know if, if the pastor was just having an off day that morning, but as I was watching his sermon, the, the things that he was teaching were true. But the tone and 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 so the way he was going about it was very heavy-handed. It was very like come on church you got to do better. You're not doing enough. You got to stop doing this. You got to stop right and it was just this sort of heavy-handed and you could I could just tell like man th- th- there's an agenda here. He's trying to move the church in a certain direction and he's there's lots of ways that we can sort of manipulate people and get them to move the direction that we want. And as I watched it, I just, in my spirit, I was like, nope, that is not what we're looking for in a church merger. You know, Jesus' harshest words, the only time Jesus ever spoke harshly was actually to the religious leaders who were doing the very thing that Paul's warning us about. Don't manipulate the word of God to promote an agenda just as an aside, I gotta say um, this is one of the things that I just love most about Pastor Chris Jackson, the pastor of grace that we will be deciding to merge with this morning. Every time, every interaction I've had with Chris when, when I've sort of brought things to him, concerns. Um, now, Chris is not perfect, and you know, he makes mistakes like any other person. And there have been a couple times when I've actually raised some things with him and said, hey, I think you missed this. And his heart every time has been one of humility and grace. Oh, thanks for bringing that forward. I brought some complicated situations. And his response has always been, what's the most generous thing we can do here? What's the most gracious way we can respond in this situation? I love that, that that's his heart. I think that reveals, when, we, when Christian leaders have that heart, it reveals the glory of Jesus in all the right ways. So we got to watch out for that. The second pitfall that Paul highlights here is he talks about preaching oneself rather than Jesus as Lord. Now, there's a lot we could explore there, and uh, for the sake of time, let me just make a quick point. In our day and age, I don't know what was going on for Paul and Paul's day and age, but there already were issues going on where there were different apostles or pastors kind of putting themselves forward and like, you know, Be in my group. Follow my camp. And Paul, I think, was calling some of that out. In our day and age, I think there's been this sort of rise over the last 25, 30 years of kind of the mega church and the celebrity pastor. Where people begin to associate more with a particular church or a particular pastor and say, that's where I belong. That's who I follow. More than they do with actually Jesus himself. If you want to uh, do a deep dive and seeing sort of a case study of what this looks like there's another podcast you could check out which is called the rise and fall of Mars Hill the church up in Seattle led by Mark Driscoll that rose to great heights and then had a terrible fall and it was at the heart of it is this issue right here it's this issue right here and so Paul is saying these are the pitfalls that we can fall into that will prevent us from revealing the full glory of Jesus and advancing the kingdom of God. Okay? So we gotta be on alert with those things. And then Paul highlights there are some barriers. There are some barriers that impede the mission. We see this in verse 4, where he says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. See, what Paul's saying is, what we're up against is. If people get to see Jesus for who he really is, to see the glory of Jesus, that's God God revealing himself to the world in the person of Jesus. If people could see that clearly, they would just fall at their feet and worship Jesus. Jesus is that good if we could just see him clearly. But Satan loves to obscure things. He loves to blind people. He loves to confuse And to um, cause darkness to descend over people's eyes so they cannot see Jesus clearly. Now there was a a version of that that Paul experienced in his day and age and the culture that he was ministering in. There were lots of false gods out there and and, and, um, uh, philosophers and things that really swayed people's minds that sort of blinded them from seeing the truth of Jesus. We live in a very different age very Different culture, but we also have our version of this. Satan has not stopped being at work, he's been doing this throughout the millennia. His methods just change in our day and age. Let me just highlight a few of the ways that I think um, people get blinded. There are like layers of this. The first one I'll highlight is um, postmodernism. Okay, 30, 40 years ago, um, the whole notion of there's objective truth. And all you have to do is get enough evidence. And once the evidence lines up and and you know what's true, then you can have confidence that that's true. And uh, the church leaned hard into that notion. And and there was lots of great work being done of like, let's make a case for how we can know the Bible is true. That Jesus' death and resurrection is factual. um, That the Christian worldview is reasonable and, and, and based in reality. But then the culture shifted. And the whole notion of objective truth began to go out the window. And that's what's meant by being in a postmodernist culture. Truth, who can know truth? I mean, maybe that's your truth, but your truth is different than my truth. So having a conversation about what's true really isn't all that fruitful. Okay? That blinds people from seeing the truth. Another layer to this is that we now find ourselves in what um, theologians and, and, um, and, and scholars would call a post Christian culture. And what's meant by that is, as the culture has evolved, so much of our American culture is rooted in Christian values, it's rooted in the, the, the truths that are found in the scripture and the Christian worldview, right? Things like charity and equality, right? Those, those come from the heart of Jesus. But what's happened is, um, the cultures began to move on and said, Yeah, we like some of these values, but we want to divorce them from their, their origin. Right? In other words, we, we want the kingdom, we want the values of the kingdom, but we don't want to worship the king. Okay? Now, there's some reasons for that. Part of it is, Yeah, Satan's been at work. But I think there are some other reasons. A study was done about 10 years ago. Varna, which is a big uh, survey, you know. Kind of surveying the culture and the Christian world and what they find from a really helpful resource. They came up with a book called Unchristian. And it was a result of surveys they had conducted throughout the United States asking the question: what is the perception of those outside the church of the church? So, sort of the non-churchgoers, what do they think of Christians and the Christian church? And what came back was not pretty. Things like the vast majority of people thought uh, Christians and the church was hypocritical, judgmental, homophobic, too involved in politics, and the list went on. See, I think because the pitfalls that we just talked about a little earlier were not avoided by many leaders in the church, it began to derail the mission. And people outside the church began to have an experience of Christians that was not pleasant to them, where they felt judged by them, or they saw hypocrisy that was present, right? Felt like there was too much sort of striving for power and politics and promoting a particular agenda, and people began to write off the church. And if you look at each generation, um, and probably in the room, we have almost every generation represented, the, the younger you get, the more intensely you view The church this way. The church has an image problem when it comes to those outside of the church. And so when you, the effect of that is um, when you sit down and you you talk with someone uh, about Jesus, it's who isn't following Jesus. It's not that they've never heard about Jesus. It's that they think they've heard about Jesus and have already made up their minds that they want nothing to do with him because of how Christians and the church has behaved. See, that's blindness upon blindness, right? It's getting darker in here. I'm not done yet. There's one more that I'll highlight. And it's, there's a new wave of what's called deconstructionism. So if if The post-Christian reality is affecting people outside the church, deconstructionism is actually affecting people inside the church. What deconstructionism is, is when there are folks who begin to bring a critique to sort of orthodox theology or sort of a popular understanding of what it means to be a Christian and follow Jesus, and they begin to critique it. Deconstructionism is not necessarily a bad thing. It actually, can be very helpful because remember earlier I said a lot of times the values of the culture or the way the culture operates begins to bleed into the church and it gets kind of murky. That deconstructionist energy can be like, whoa, whoa, whoa! This is this part here. This isn't biblical. This is this is like patriarchy, right? Wait, wait, wait! This this teaching here. This is this is not. This is not biblical. This is rooted in, like, Western colonialism thinking, okay? I know I'm throwing a lot of big words here, but you guys get the idea, right? You start to, they start to critique, right, and strip away, nope, this isn't, this isn't authentic, nope, this isn't right. These assumptions are wrong, and they start to peel away layers. The problem is, is that it's, what's happening is it's being taken so far that people deconstruct themselves out of faith in Jesus. They get down to the roots and then go, yeah, and Jesus, Now, he's out too. I've seen this happen. I have walked with young people, and it's really affecting our younger generations more than anyone else. I have walked with young people who for a season in their life have been on fire for Jesus. I mean, all in on Jesus. And as the culture begins to challenge and question the behavior of the church and the perspectives of the church, They start to go down this path of deconstruct. Well, maybe that's not right, and maybe that's not right. And I've watched people literally get to a place where they're like, yeah, I just need to, this is all too confusing. I just need to walk away from God. I just want no part of this anymore. Who's feeling encouraged (laughs) this morning, right? I just want to paint the picture of the darkness that we're up against, the barriers and challenges we find ourselves facing as a church. But let me ask us this question. Who knows what the darkest verse in the Bible is? Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. Right, Genesis chapter ver- uh, 1, verse 2, where it says that the earth was formless, was empty, and darkness covered everything. And then we get to verse three. And then God said, let there be light. We follow a God who specializes in creating light in really dark spaces. This is the power of our God. And this is the wonderful and beauty of of light is that no matter how dark it is, Just a little bit of light can change everything. I think this is what Paul understands and what he's calling us to is that as the church, we need to let the light of Jesus shine through us. We need to let Jesus' light. He talks about those of us who are followers of Jesus. God has shown the light of God's glory into our hearts. We know who Jesus is. We've experienced his goodness, right, right? Have you ever had that experience where you're interacting with someone who doesn't know Jesus and you see the darkness in their lives and you're just like, man, if you just could let Jesus in, it would change everything, right? You, that's because you have that light in you. What's challenging is like, well, how do we shine that light in a way that will help dispel blindness and help people see Jesus in all of his glory? And that's what I just want to spend the rest of our time talking about. And I want to do that actually not by telling you but showing you and just share some stories of how just different ways that I think Jesus' light can shine through us. The first story is actually um, about Kyle. And, well, really, it's a little bit more about his girlfriend, Sierra. I know some of you guys have uh, met her. Um, A couple years ago, Sierra noticed that there were some friends in her life that had sort of gone down this path of deconstructionism and were pretty disillusioned with the church but they were sort of hungering for deep relationships. Like, yeah, I don't want church, but I want deep, meaningful relationships where we can be vulnerable with each other and experience community. And so Sierra and Kyle decided to invite some of those friends and say, hey, let's, let's have a weekly gathering where we just connect deeply with each other and be vulnerable with each other and, and have community with one another. And those friends invi- you know, invited a boyfriend and another friend, and pretty soon there were 8, 10, 12 folks that were gathering on a weekly basis, right? And they were beginning to experience, right, vulnerability and community in a way that was life-giving. And they said, well, let us we need to focus on something as we gather. You can only sort of talk about yourselves so much. And so they came up with that, well, why don't we actually... Look at the life of Jesus. And so they they began to work their way through the gospel of Matthew. And so as they gathered for vulnerable community, they said, let's look at the life of Jesus. And guess what happened? As the light of who Jesus is began to shine through the scripture and through the relationships that were being formed, folks began, began to rediscover Jesus in new and fresh ways. I love that picture of what it looks like to just live that out. You got some people around you hungering for community. You don't have to bring them to church, especially if they're like, we want nothing to do with church. See, if you think church is the only option to help people step closer to Jesus, what do you do with people who don't want to go to church? There's nothing, well, but we could do something different. Why don't we gather? I'd love to show you the Jesus that I know through the scripture. Let's look at that together. I love that story. Here's another story. This is my friend, Sarah and her husband, husband, Brooke, a few years ago, I think I've talked about them before, um, but I'll just remind us. A few years ago, they had an opportunity. There was a need in, um, uh, in the community where their church was connected, an organization that was looking to house Afghani refugees. Right? So when Afghanistan fell and all that, right? there was a flood of refugees that came to the U.S., and they needed places to stay. And so after praying it through, they just felt like, well, we don't have much software but we have a home. And so, yeah, we'll let a family come stay in our home for as long as they need. We'll help them get settled. We'll help them figure out life in the United States. And just so you know, Sarah and Brooke have five kids. This isn't like, oh, we've got a bunch of extra bedrooms, right? It was like, well, we'll just pack them in and we'll find a way. But but they just had a sense of conviction. Like, this this is part of God's glory is that His people would be people of hospitality and generosity. So we're going to live this out. So they opened up their home to this family. And she shared with me this one story. They've had a couple different families come through. And this one family, the father of the family, sat down with her in the living room, her and Brooke, one evening. And they brought a translator in. So no one's, you know, it was challenging, right? People, they did not speak each other's language. They brought a translator in. And the, the, the father wanted to know one thing. And he was like are you a person or are you an angel? That was his question. Because he was like, why are you doing this? I don't understand how someone would be willing to open up their home to us like this. And so she got to share about their holy book and the heart of the father to welcome the stranger. And that led to other conversations where she got to talk about Jesus. All right. Love that story. The light of Jesus shining through. One more story. Uh, a few years ago, right before I think the, actually the pandemic, the fall before uh, the pandemic hit, um, I got a chance to go and speak at a, 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 a weekend retreat for uh, college students from campuses throughout, across greater Los Angeles. Um, about 150 college students were out at the camp, and I got to go out there and, and preach and, and be the teacher for the weekend. And so I was talking a lot about the love of the Father. That was the theme of, of the weekend. And one of the stories that I told, or the images that I used, is when um, uh, and I've shared this on a Sunday morning as well. When our kids were little, we would do this thing with them where we would call it filling their love tank. And the way we would do it is we would, we, you know, we would say, oh, Do you want your love tank filled? And they'd be like, Yeah, and then you'd pick them up and you wrap them up in a big bear hug. And then we would sort of make the sound and the motion of like a, a gas tank filling. So we go glug, 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 you know, fill in the love tank, you know. And then we get to the, you know, then stop and we go, do you want us to top it off? Yeah, top it off, okay, a little more, glug, glug, ding, right, love tank full. It was just something we did with our kids and I use that analogy to talk about kind of the father's heart for us with these college kids. And the last night we were there, um, my wife, so this was a weekend where Annalisa got to come with me and um, experience the weekend with me, which often doesn't happen, so it was a special time. She went to the the women's restroom to get ready for bed. We were wiped out. It had been a long day. And while she was there, there was this cluster of um, these uh, women college students that were like, that's, you know that's the, you know, the speaker's wife you know, and because I had talked about her a lot and had her up front. And so they kind of like pushed one of their friends toward like, go talk to her, go talk to her, you know. And so uh, the student went to Annalisa and she's very, you know, she's like, hey, would it, um, could I talk with you and Ken? Would you guys be up for that? And so she was like, okay. So she comes back from the bathroom. I'm, I'm thinking we're, it's time for bed, but nope, she comes back with the student, like we're gonna sit down and talk. So we sat down and we got to hear this student's story, and it was heartbreaking. She had grown up in a very broken home, with a fairly abusive father who was very, you know, just hard on her, and you know, critical and angry. And um, they didn't have a lot of uh, financial resources, and so things were always tight. Um, and there's, you could just hear the scars on this woman's heart, this young woman's heart. And then she began, to, she began to cry and just share some deeper things about how in college, as finances got tight, she decided that she could make some money through prostituting herself on the internet and hooking up with different guys that she found there and getting money from them as a way to make ends meet. And as she shared, you could just hear just, um, just she felt ashamed about that. She also felt just kind of hopeless about that. And so we just began to minister to her and encourage her, and we prayed for her, and we just prayed the love love of the Father over her and just prayed his grace and his compassion um, for her situation. And at the end of the time, we said amen, and she turns to Annalisa, and she says, do you think you could fill my love tank? And Annalisa was like, yeah, I could do that. She just wrapped her up in a big bear hug and just clung clung, 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 clung. And this student's face, she just was beaming, you know, just taking it in. Want me to top you off? Yeah. You know? She was having a very different experience of a father's love that night, of a parent's love, of the heart of Jesus. Right? She didn't need a lecture. She didn't need... Things explained her, she needed to be shown the love of God. See, nothing shines brighter, no light shines brighter than love. Because that is the most glorious thing about Jesus. That is the most wonderful, most glorious aspect of God's character, is that He is love. And so if you want people to see Jesus for who he really is, they need to be shown love love. Now, I'm not talking about, like, every, we got to just run around and, and, and meet everyone's need and, and show love in all the places that um, are needed. It's, it's not about exhausting ourselves, trying to pour love into other people. It's actually about the overflow. It's about being the people of God who know the the transformation and the freedom that Jesus brings, who have experienced the love of God in our own lives to the point where we are overflowing, where God's love is poured into us all the way to the fullness, and now it's overflowing. We can't contain it. We then share it with others. That's the picture that we have in the gospel. I think for some of us here, the starting point to apply this message is to get yourself in some spaces where you can receive more of God's love. to Slow down, to find time to be with God, to reflect, to worship, to be in his presence and get filled to overflowing. And then some of us need to step out of our comfort zone who we're like, we know Jesus and we love Jesus and we're full of his love, but we just, you know, life just goes on and we like to play it safe and, and we... We're not necessarily looking for those opportunities, and my encouragement is like, boy, if you want to, you want to see God answer a prayer, pray this prayer. God, would you show me who to love this week? That's a prayer, God. You can guarantee God will answer. See? There will always be a need, or there will need to be a time and a place for telling people about Jesus, for explaining the gospel, for interpreting why you've let a family into your home, or why you've gone out of your way to love someone else. All the ways that we shine our light, that sort of vulnerability and community, generosity and hospitality, compassion and grace, those things need to be interpreted. At some point, someone's going to ask, why are you doing this? The thing I'm trying to emphasize this morning is So often in the church, we've thought the place we have to start is we have to tell people about Jesus. We need to say, you should follow Jesus. But if they don't know Jesus, or if they think they have this wrong view of Jesus, they're just going to be like, no thanks. But if you show them, if you show them what it's like to have Jesus in your life, if you show them what the love of the Father looks like, if you show them Jesus' glory through your lives, that's going to get their attention. We're called to this mission to shine the light of Jesus that is in us. And here's the thing about darkness, friends, and I'll close with this, is eventually I think everyone gets sick of being in the dark. I think at some point in everyone's life, they're just like, no more. They come to realize, I'm blind, I'm oppressed, this is not working for me, and it's in in those moments that having a follower of Jesus who has been loving on them and who's in their life who can then point them to the light is gonna be the thing that's most needed because people who are sick of the darkness will be drawn to the light. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you that it is not hard to make you look good. Thank you, Jesus, that we don't have to deceive or manipulate or spin things to make you glorious. You just are. The problem is, Lord, is we don't often even see you fully rightly. And so, Lord, would you start with us? Would you draw us into a deeper place of authenticity in our relationship with you? Would you open our eyes to see you more fully, to experience your love more deeply, that we could be more and more people of overflow, who pour out your love to others, who shine our light? And God, we pray that, that for this church and for the new church that is, is being formed, Lord, that it would be a church that just brightly shines in this community. Like, a, as the scripture says, being like a beacon on the hill, kind of a lighthouse or a spotlight that just penetrates the darkness that surrounds us in this culture. God, make us into that kind of church. Make us into those kind of people. And God, help us to be people who pray, God, who do you want me to love this week? Give me eyes to see. And may you do wonderful and glorious things through each of us as you answer those prayers. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us. For more information about Baseline Community Church, please go to BaselineCC.com.